Hello, and welcome to Transfusion's monthly podcast. I'm your host, Yara Park. In today's episode, we'll be speaking with the authors of the article, Emergency Transfusion with Whole Blood versus Packed Red Blood Cells, a study of 1,400 patients. Welcome, Drs. Kristen Ruby and Rob McCarr. Thank you so much for joining us. Dr. Ruby, would you please introduce yourself? Yes, thank you so much. My name is Kristen Ruby, and I'm a clinical pathologist at Massachusetts General Hospital, and I'm the assistant director of the blood transfusion service and the medical director of the MGH Blood Donor Center. So thanks so much for having me here today. Thank you. And Dr. McCarr, can you introduce yourself, please? Absolutely. Thank you, Dr. Park, for inviting us. Uh, My name is Rob McCarr. I'm the director of the blood transfusion service at the Massachusetts General Hospital, and I work closely with uh, Dr. Ruby. Thank you so much. So can we start by having a summary of your paper? Can you tell our listeners what your paper is about? So essentially, um, brief summary, whole blood transfusion was first described about 200 years ago in the 1820s, and essentially what that consisted of was taking whole blood from one person and giving it to another bleeding person. And as time developed and technologies increased, such as refrigeration and the development of anticoagulation in World War I, we were able to separate whole blood into its components, such as red cells, plasma, and platelets. And that allowed us to store each component for its maximum amount of time and give only what's needed for transfusion. However, in the military... Uh, especially during the world wars, there was this demand for simplification, especially because we, you don't know, have space to sort the different components in the ways that they're needed. And so there's this, this demand for simplification. And so this resurgence of whole blood came back and there was great interest in it, especially in the trauma communities. And because of this logistical benefit of just giving one bag and supposedly giving everything in a balanced way that you need, we've started seeing that in civilian centers in recent times. And so just how this relates to Massachusetts General Hospital is because in 2019, April 2019, our medical center established a policy to administer low titer group O whole blood as the very first product released for all requests for emergency on cross-match blood. And so what that means is before 2019, if there was a request for emergency on cross-match blood, patients were receiving component therapy. But after 2019, they were given um, low titer group O whole blood followed by component therapy. And so with this policy change, we recognize this opportunity to go back and do a retrospective single center cohort study to really compare these two groups and examine, you know, if there is a difference in outcomes between these two groups. So just as a summary of the two populations, the 2016 to 2019 packed red cell group was about 602 patients. And then in our whole blood group, we had 749 patients. And our primary outcome was looking at total blood use during the first 24 hours of care, as well as the first seven days. And we found that the patients who initially had emergency release whole blood ended up using, um, they ended up having more blood use in comparison to the packed red cell group. We also had some secondary outcomes that we looked at, including survival and acquisition costs, as well as some non-lethal adverse outcomes. 
And we found that the initial use of whole blood offered no advantage over component therapy, in particular related to the 30-day survival and really no difference between the non-lethal adverse outcomes as well. So that's just an overall broad broad, uh, summary of the paper. What led you to compare these two groups, the before 2019 and the after 2019 groups? So because of this policy change, it was a specific time point where we were doing something different in our blood bank. We were able to compare, you know, red cells only as the first thing given compared to whole blood followed by component therapy. So I think it's just that that process change within our hospital that we identified as this time point where something was different before and something was different after. We wanted to be able to compare those two groups. So why did you switch to whole blood in 2019 to begin with? Dr. Ruby uh, really elegantly summarized the history of whole blood um, in our field and its resurgence in interest. Prior to 2019, just before 2019, as I think everybody uh, listening to this podcast will remember, there had been there had been quite a few uh, publications describing the use of whole blood in the trauma setting, but more particularly, uh, uh, Dr. Yazer had published a paper describing the, uh, their experience using whole blood in uh, civilian trauma and demonstrating uh, safety. So uh, that uh, published experience combined with our the local interest of our trauma colleagues in a simplified resuscitative approach uh, led to uh, our decision to implement whole blood, uh, low titer O whole blood when it became available uh, to purchase from the American Red Cross. So that that's sort of the explanation for why we made the policy change in 2019. Um, and when uh, Dr. Ruby joined us, uh, it, uh, enough time had elapsed for us to uh, look at the our experience with whole blood and compare it against uh, historical controls to sort of to to assess not just whether the the product was indeed as safe as we had thought it would be, uh, but also to to try to see if it would uh, improve outcomes in patients and the outcome that. Uh, Dr. Ruby focused on, as she mentioned, was the total blood product use, but we also looked at mortality outcomes as well to try to see if if whole blood provided an advantage. Can you tell us about your institution's strategy for using the low titer O whole blood? I noticed you mentioned that for non-group O patients, it's limited to four units. When do you make the switch um, to components? Is it the same for everybody? Is it different for group O versus non-group O? Uh, it's the same for everybody. Uh, so everybody, whether they are group O or not, uh, of course, uh, in the heat of battle, we often don't know what their ABO type is and may not know uh, for really severely injured individuals uh, after a few coolers have, have left. So everybody gets uh, four a low titer O whole blood units, and then they transition to component therapy. Another question that I realized as I think about bringing group O, low titer O whole blood to my hospital, 
Do you worry about RH in the younger women? So as of right now, the whole blood that we have is um, RH positive as well as RH negative. And so right now we have just been giving what we have available to any patient and we have not really, really looked at that so far. That was my own personal question because I'm trying to figure out how to do this myself. So we really agree with uh, the philosophy of our colleagues at the Pittsburgh Institute for Transfusion Medicine that uh, when it comes to emergent resuscitation of an exsanguinating patient, uh, while RH is historically very important, it's probably not a primary concern. Gotcha. So I think what surprised or what was the most surprising finding from the study was the fact that the patients who got whole blood actually received more volume of blood. Why do you think that happened? Do you think it was the missing visual cue of a yellow product hanging that caused the clinicians to order more blood for the low titer O whole blood patients? Or do you have a theory? Yeah, it's hard to know why more volume, but perhaps you're right. I mean, maybe because it's less physical units in your hand, you feel like you're giving less and you want to do more. And so maybe you know, there's a bias from the people hanging the blood. Um, but also, I mean, whole blood units are more volume compared to a packed red cell. So, um, you know, if, if providers are giving whole blood and they also are giving the component therapy afterwards and they feel like they're wanting to give more units, I think it's just, just adding up to a, an increased total volume overall. I don't know if Rob, if you have any other insights for that. I think that's actually a really good uh, hypothesis to explain the discrepancy, particularly among the cohort of patients, of which there was a large proportion that uh, that that didn't uh, require liters of blood product support. Uh, the interval under study transfusion beyond the first cooler was wasn't uh, schematized. Um, that is to say, uh, if an individual initiated a massive transfusion for a bleeding patient, uh, beyond the first cooler of emergency blood, they were given what they requested, as opposed to predetermined uh, ratios of blood products. I can readily imagine that uh, uh, that our trauma colleagues you know, might look at the product and, and say, well, there's just not enough yellow. <laughs> yeah, too much red hanging up there. And therefore going ahead and ordering plasma. But additionally, uh, when you request four units of, of, of whole blood and, and your transfusion volume is low, there's always going to be plasma in that component, which is not the case when you just ask for four units of uncross-matched group O red cells. And going along those lines, that's, you know, how we did our statistical analysis as well. We, we tried to look at blood use in two different ways through volume, like we already talked about, but also through counting the components that are being given in a unit of whole blood. So we were considering a unit of whole blood to be equal to one unit of packed red cells, plus one unit of plasma, plus a sixth of a dose, an adult dose of platelets. And so if you look at the table in our, our publication, you'll notice that there's not a row for whole blood because we had distributed the each whole blood into those components. And this is a very unique 
you know, a different way of looking at blood use, which is different than other publications out out there. So there's not really standardization within whole blood studies of how blood use is being counted. So we were trying to look at it in multiple ways with the volume as well as blood use, just so we can get a better idea of really what's going on with each of these patients. Yeah, I thought that was a very interesting way of doing it because I got to the table and, and I thought, where's the whole blood? And then I reread the paper and understood that you had divided it out, which is correct, right? That's what makes up a unit of whole blood. So it works. There was uh, less difference when looking at the massively transfused subgroup. As this is a group that commonly is examined in low titer O whole blood studies, why do you think there was no difference in this group in particular? So it's possible that in the massively transfused blood group, you know, these are the kinds of patients that, you know, typically really are hemorrhaging out in front of you. And so there's a lot of blood going in and at once. And at that point, you know, if we are giving a maximum amount of whole blood of four units, they're getting many, many units of component therapy as well after that. And so I think the the number of units are just becoming similar. And at that point, the amount of volume that's being given is similar as well. Yeah, I think uh, the larger volume transfused in a truly exsanguinating patient, the less the volume of plasma and platelets in those four initial whole blood units, um, it, it represents a, just a smaller proportion of the total volume. And so that's why I think they uh, the volumes converge. Right, just by massive amounts. Another subgroup analysis looked at secondary outcomes being survival at 30 days, and there was a significant benefit of red cell units over low titer O whole blood in the non-white recipients. Do you have a theory as to why that is? That forced plotting, which I think you're referring to, um, the, the non-white you know, that is a statistically significant difference, although I think that is just, you know, biased because we are doing so many small subgroup comparisons. So I'm not sure we can really make too much of that, to be honest. Um, I think it's just because of the statistical analysis of multiple small comparisons. Thank you. So can you speculate on why the findings of this study seem opposed to findings of other studies of low titer O whole blood that we've all read out there? So I can point out a few differences from of this study compared to other studies. And uh, first is it is a different type of study because it is a before and after study. So we have, you know, one institution where we're comparing two different processes. So there's that. But more importantly, I think, is that we are actually including all patients in our study. So that is both males and females and traumas and non-traumas. And that's a really unique part of of our paper because most of the studies to date have focused on solely trauma patients, but we've included all causes of bleeding, which include, you know, postpartum hemorrhage, CNS bleeding, GI bleeding. And so we're really kind of looking at overall the that bleeding population within our hospital, which is a little bit different than most of the studies that have been published to date. Dr. Park, you may also be referring to the JAMA surgery paper as an example of a paper that was was able to find a, a, a difference. Um, so I, I think one of the strengths of 
our approach is that we we can leverage the homogeneity uh, uh, our trauma surgeons by and large remain were the same all the other processes and systems uh, remained more or less the same in the time interval under analysis it was really only the intervention of changing from four uncross-matched Grupo red cells to whole blood that changed. Uh, the uh, observational multicenter studies, uh, larger observational trials that incorporate data from multiple centers, uh, even when using complicated statistical tools like propensity score matching, I'm not sure that you can actually uh, uh, correct for institution-specific differences that aren't captured in the statistical model. So demonstrating a benefit in a complicated study like that, to my mind, doesn't really uh, prove the benefit of whole blood yet. Uh, uh, one can argue that we don't have the, the study size, especially among the trauma patients, and that's a valid limitation. Uh, but I think our uh, single center before after approach uh, avoids some real complexity that other studies have. So you mentioned your trauma colleagues and said that they were very eager for whole blood. How did your non-trauma colleagues handle this switch from just red cells to low titer O whole blood? Were they on board from the get go as well? Yeah, yeah. I think uh, where trauma goes, everybody else follows in terms of resuscitative support for a bleeding patient. Uh, that's certainly been our experience with the uh, love for uh, ratio-based plasma-heavy uh, approaches, uh, first implemented by our trauma colleagues and very quickly started uh, becoming the normative practice uh, for heavily bleeding patients in the OR. Uh, so yeah, uh, there wasn't a whole lot of, uh, of uh, furor, for sure. I expected there wasn't, but I thought I would ask anyway. So after using such a significant amount of low titer O whole blood in your institution, do you have any suggestions or pearls of wisdom to share with other centers that may be in the process of a adopting a low titer O whole blood strategy? Well, from a processing perspective, I, I can point out, you know, we do have a blood donor center here at our hospital. And so from a logistical perspective, it makes sense for us to also give whole blood because that's one of the easiest components or not components, one of the easiest blood products to actually manufacture. And so for us, you know, it, we can supply that to our hospital blood bank and also it's cost effective for us to supply it to our blood bank but that would be a huge consideration for other people considering it because it is a very expensive blood product to purchase so i think uh, a couple things i think one uh, a health system needs to or a hospital needs to uh, think through exactly how many units they will provide a given patient. That, that is, have some rules about its use. We settled on four units. We're comfortable with that. Many uh, other centers uh, use uh, or provide more whole blood for uh, for, uh, for patients. 
than that. Uh, uh, sourcing it can be challenging. Uh, we've had uh, uh, supply issues, um, and uh, we've 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 got the great benefit of having our own donor centers. Dr. Ruby mentioned, um, and that has been a huge mitigation. Um, product waste is not an issue because uh, we find that uh, for those units that are not used, where we have the ability to pack them. Okay, so you can component them afterwards if need be. Yes, so before they get to their outdate, uh, we're packing them and, and generating O red cells, which we're, you know, which, which we're using uh, all the time. So that's, so product waste is not that big a deal. Yeah, I think those are the, 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 chief, the chief issues. Those are excellent pearls of wisdom for sure. So if low titer O whole blood resulted in increased transfusion, no benefit survival, and increased cost, what are the advantages to adopting a low titer O whole blood emergent transfusion strategy in a hospital-based transfusion service? So like I, I mentioned, I do think that cost, unfortunately, is a big decider for some facilities. And we have been committed to trying to produce, you know, as much whole blood as possible in our donor center. And we are in the process of trying to essentially cover the whole inventory. So with that being said, it is a cost savings from our perspective. However, that's just one part of it. The other benefits are, you know, the simplicity of it and the end user, the physician that's hanging the unit, you know, they do have, I think, a say and if things are going well or not, you know, if, if it is just easier for them to hang it, there's that demand that, you know, we have to listen to it in at some degree. Uh, yeah. I think everything Dr. Ruby said is correct. I, I would just uh, sort of say it uh, this way. I, I think our paper is actually a compelling argument for revisiting uh, the use of whole blood, but it won't happen for uh, uh, for a couple reasons. Um, the logistical simplicity of being able to, to uh, issue a cooler with just four bags, uh, and then uh, for the care provider to uh, just sequentially transfuse each of those bags and provide balanced resuscitation it's it's it, it, it's important both to our med techs who are uh let's face it the blood bank is uh is is, is one of the labs that is huge hugely under resourced right now certainly we are we are too and uh and, and so the simplicity of being able to uh issue a cooler uh with just four containers uh that's a that's that's an important consideration, and it certainly is very simple to administer, uh, which is why care providers like it. Uh, the second reason is, although we did not see a mortality signal, uh, that doesn't mean that there isn't a mortality signal, um, and we really need larger randomized control trials to to that are in design or ongoing to formally. Uh, answer that question. There might be an advantage to the patient uh, for uh, receiving whole blood. Um, we didn't see it, but our our study probably isn't um, 
sized appropriately to really look at that question. And even if we did have the N uh, for those patients with massive transfusion, uh, it's not randomized. It's a retrospective analysis. So we need we, we still look forward to the kinds of high quality randomized control trial studies to formally address that question about mortality benefits. And that's our show. Thank you to Dr. Ruby and Dr. McCarr for joining us for a really great discussion. This has been Yara Park for Transfusions Monthly Podcast. See you next time. Mm-hmm.